2: On your Friday episode of Locked On Raptors, it's a mailbag time. We dig into your questions about the most important developmental cases on the Raptors in the coming seasons, a potential elephant in the room regarding one Pascal Siakam, plus much much more from you, the wonderful listeners out there. We'll get to it all on today's episode. Thanks for hanging. Oh, like cuz my shot I expected to make it. So like I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1367 of Locked on Raptors for Friday, March the 24th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. I've been covering the Toronto Raptors now for nine seasons on various platforms. You can find all of my work over on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can also subscribe to the podcast for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts in audio form. Always free. All you got to do is leave a rating, review, hit the subscribe button, all that good stuff. It's much appreciated when you do that. Also, go follow the show on Instagram. As I mentioned yesterday, we have an Instagram account for the channel. Uh, just Locked on Raptors, search it up. It's currently locked because of uh, suspicious activity. Thanks meta but either way please go follow the Lockdown Raptors account and I think a couple days from now I should be able to get back to posting I'll be doing you know clips from episodes some bonus outtake content all that good stuff so please go subscribe also we'll do mailbag prompts and stuff over there too so go check out the Lockdown Raptors Instagram page that's all the ways you can help support the show. Today's show is supported as well by our friends over at FanDuel, official sports book of On. Make every moment more with FanDuel. Visit fanduel.com slash lockdown today to get started all right on today's show we're digging into mailbag questions baby we got a ton of really good questions probably going to go maybe three or four deep on this one and go a little bit deeper into each individual question as opposed to doing rapid fire through a whole bunch that said i want to start incorporating a little bit more listener suggested stuff. So start emailing lockdownraptors at gmail.com send your emails there and if you want to write a bit more of a full-fledged concept for a, you know a topic or something that you want to hear discussed in depth, please go ahead and do that Lockdownraptors at gmail.com but we will go today to a question from our pal Eric Morris, epic moppis on Twitter, the preeminent Tennessee and Toronto Raptors fan who sent in a great question. Can you rank the players in order of whose development is most important to the team's success in the next three to four years? Rotation players, he specified. And uh, yeah, this is a really good question. A really important one, obviously, for a team that is clearly not quite uh, at the level it wants to be. 500-ish, kind of floating around that mushy middle. The nice thing about this Raptors team is that there is upward mobility because you have Scotty Barnes, you have a first-round pick this year in the draft, you have Precious Achua, uh, there are some other guys we can get into as well, I'm pretty high on Christian Coloco's long-term outlook, all that good stuff, Um, you know, those guys are very important to this whole operation, and if you're the kind of person, like me, who's perfectly fine to see the Raptors go forward with most of this core, if not all of this core that they've established, to try to build on it further next season and maybe take the leap that we expected this year on a one-year delayed timeline, uh, then those developmental cases are the thing you're banking on, right? If Scotty Barnes is not going to go and become the guy everybody hopes he can be, then all of this is for naught, and the Raptors will probably be back to square one when it comes to trying to find a championship-contending, leading-caliber player, And look, the odds are, Scotty Barnes is not going to become one of the seven best players in the league, the type of player who can carry a team to contention on his own, and so it's going to have to be probably more of a sum-of-its-parts type of situation with the ascension of Scotty Barnes into being the number one player on the team at some point in the next few years here. Um, And so I guess I'm laying it out before laying it out. Scotty Barnes is the most important developmental case on this team. It's unquestionable. It's like absolutely... Everything about this team going forward hinges upon is Scotty Barnes the dude that he's shown flashes of potentially being someday. It's going to come down to three-point shooting. Can he become a passable three-point shooter? Not even just the threes, but can the mid-range game become something he can go to as a weapon? Some of the best players in the NBA, most of the best players in the NBA thrive because the mid-range, which is the place every team is going to try to funnel you, is the place where they make their hay. Can Scotty Barnes get back to some of the flashes we've seen? Mostly last season, there's been a little bit more of late since, say, the start of March, where the mid-ranges looked a little stronger for him as well. Um, but it's been a tough season, as I've talked about a lot, uh, as far as his two-point shooting goes. That's going to have to improve significantly. You know, the defense for him... I think it's important, obviously, and I think he's shown some great strides as, like, a help side guy, a guy who can maybe not be, like, an on-ball defensive ace, but maybe he's better in a position where he can kind of roam the back line and, you know, operate on the weak side, come on over, help at the rim, that type of stuff. He feels like he's got the length, the basketball instincts, the sort of intel to make that kind of his role defensively. And if you can do that, when you have the on-ball chops of OG, the rim protection of Jakob pertle the sort of general solidness at most defensive things that Pascal Siakam brings, you can build yourself a pretty damn good defense with this core. And yeah, I mean, the on-ball stuff, with the scoring stuff with Scotty is going to be what puts him over the top. I think the playmaking we've seen, it's going to be special. He is a visionary passer. He's probably going to end up being... At his peak, one of the three or four best passers in the NBA. That's just kind of the gift that he has. Can he parlay the rest of his offensive game into something more? It's it's often, you know, it's rare you see guys on this sort of development track where it's the passing and playmaking that's there first. Usually you'll see, you know, for example, Pascal Siakam, Jason Tatum comes to mind. Mikal Bridges is kind of, go, kind of going through this right now with the Nets. Oftentimes it starts with the star player kind of having the scoring juice and then, in reaction and response to how teams then start guarding you because you're a scoring threat, that's where the playmaking kind of comes along by necessity. And some guys figure it out, some guys guys never do, and those guys become sixth men or whatever. It's a bit of a strange track for Scotty because he already has the playmaking side down. It's, I think, making his offense great enough and potent enough and scary enough for other teams— that they start to defend him differently, which opens up all the avenues that his incredible passing is going to bring. That is the most important developmental question on the team, no doubt, full stop, Scotty Barnes' offense. From there, I think you, your sort of your mileage may vary with Precious or Coloco as far as far as number two. I also think like don't sleep on whoever they take in the draft, whether it's like 16th overall, 12th overall, wherever they end up. Uh, whoever they take in the draft is probably going to be a pretty significant, important developmental case as well because they're coming in with a first round pedigree. These types of guys who have a little bit more sort of talent and uh, you know sort of a starting point for their for their for their game that that might be the kind of guy who you plop in and say hey you're our second most important developmental case now ahead of Precious or Coloco. I talked on yesterday's show a lot about how I think both Precious and Coloco and their development super valuable and important when it comes to working around the limitations of Pertle, if he's going to be your long-term center going forward which all indications suggest that that's exactly what's going to happen and I think that's very exciting but like we talked about yesterday, there are some things that Jakubertel just can't give you, whether it's shooting, whether it's switchable defense, whether it's um, you know a little bit of proneness to getting pulled out by uh, shooting big men, that type of stuff. Precious and Coloco feel like they will be the counters when teams start to pick at those wounds, if you will. And I, uh, you know, those two guys coming along is super, super important. We've seen the value of the Raptors having good center play just by having Jakubertel on the floor. If you can level up from having right now 28 good minutes of center play to 48 good minutes of center play... You're laughing. You're in really good shape. And I think those two guys, as sort of the backbone, you know, Precious obviously being more of a small look, but a a switchable dude who can fill in at the five. He's got good rim protection numbers in his past, even though he's not necessarily amazing at the center type stuff, like screening and diving and all that. Um, You know, he can be a pinch, in a pinch option for you at center. And then Coloco, I think, if he can mold into like a really good backup, sort of a top end backup center in the next couple seasons, that is uh, super, super important. Um, so th- those are the ones, right? As far as like established guy on the team, guys on the team and their development tracks, I think Pascal kind of adding a little bit more in terms of corner three point shooting reliability. Super valuable, especially with Scotty Barnes. If you're going to keep this core together, the lack of shooting we've talked about in, in that front court, Scotty, Pascal, Yak, someone's probably going to have to pop a little bit as a shooter. Pascal's been great. As a corner three-point shooter, a catch-and-shoot guy since the yakup pertle trade, hopefully you can build upon that, and he can just be a guy that you can count on for a couple threes a night. Um, and then, you know, OGs, continued improvement, that's always important. It would be nice if Gary Trent Jr., if he's going to stick around, could learn to, like, hit the roll man and, <laughs> and pick and roll once, um, you know, or twice a game, that type of thing. But overall, I think you're looking at Scotty as the, the very clear, like, Way up ahead of everybody else in terms of importance of development. And that's what happens when you draft a blue chipper like him with the fourth overall pick. You're you're really hinging a lot of your hopes on him. It's rare that you get lottery luck. It can be pretty debilitating if your lottery luck ends up not bearing a lottery... Level player, a top end lottery level player, right? And so that is the biggest thing. I feel pretty optimistic. I think we've seen a lot of pretty good signs here, especially before Scotty got hurt. You know, he was kind of figuring out how to fit in with this set of players, with this lineup that they've rolled with as the starters that have been super effective and have dominated teams. Scotty's figuring out how to be the wing there after kind of being the nominal center for this team quite a bit. Um, it's, uh, it's, and you know, Scotty too. The last point I'll make here is his development track can go all sorts of different ways as well, right? And I don't think—I think i think we got to get out of the idea that he's, like, one position, like he's a wing or he's a point guard or he's a power forward or whatever you want to say. Uh, he's the kind of guy—Masai Ujiri said it at the start of the season— he's a future basketball player, man. And if you can massage all the different sort of developmental angles for Scotty Barnes and turn him into this sort of Voltron of various NBA skills at a, at a high level— That, I think, is how you're going to get the best out of him. Why not? If he can do it, if he's got the size and the mobility and the strength to play all over the floor in a bunch of different roles, he's got the basketball IQ and all of that, Uh, There's no reason why you can't sort of maybe play the slower game with his development track and sort of go along a lot of different sort of roads here. But eventually, it's going to lead to a very complete player, hopefully down the line, who makes it all worth keeping this core together around him as he ascends to the top of the pecking order over the course of the next couple seasons, ideally. Great question from Eric. We're going to come back on the other side, get into a few more questions regarding... Uh, Pascal C. Hockham, elephants in the room. Fred Van Vliet, is he, you know, the, the point guard for this team going forward as well? You guys, I'm sure you guys all know where I come down on a lot of this stuff. But uh, we'll dig into it, kind of look at both ends of it. We'll, we'll get to that momentarily. Before we do that, however, got to tell you about our friends over at Nissan who are bringing you, once again, the no, Nissan's most electric player of the week, brought to you by their all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria. And look, Slim Pickens, since last we did this, there's only been one Raptors game, and they lost to the Pacers without Tyrese Halliburton. We'll go Pascal Siakam, though. 31 points, 10 boards, 7 assists, 14 fourth-quarter points, in that game against the Pacers, uh, has had a pretty good little run here after some downtime, uh, some some difficulty adjusting to what the Raptors were doing with Jakob Pertl. But he's had a pretty solid last week in that game on Wednesday. Even though he's very clearly not working with the same electricity that he usually is, he's looking a little bit slow, a little bit quiet. He's still so powerful and forceful and elegant on those spin moves, the swirls as they're calling them now in the broadcasts. And he did a damn good job of keeping the Raptors in that game. Game with those powerful offensive rebounds and all of that the 2023 nissan aria packs you pin your t- to your seat power and premium intelligence all in one ev the all-new all electric 2023 nissan aria the ev people for ev for people who love to drive shop now at nissanusa.com
0: hi i'm jake from locked on there's a lot to say when buying a new home or car but really the first words you want to say are like a good neighbor state farm is there All right, we continue on here with your
2: first listen of the day. Digging into your mailbag questions. And this one comes from YouTube. YouTube uh, listener, subscriber, watcher, all that. It is MFD asking, I think one of the elephants in the room that needs to be addressed in the offseason is that if we're going to re-sign Pirtle and operate with him as a traditional big, Scotty's optimal position becomes the four. Does it make the most sense to trade Siakam while his value is still high? And, uh, sorry, (laughs) I'm reading too fast for the ticker here, and would he bring back the best return? Um, Look, I've said it. There's a world in which Pascal Siakam gets traded this summer. I, I think that's on the table because of Masai Ujiri's track record. He's made very cutthroat, ruthless decisions in the past in the interest of winning, and I don't think that's changed as far as what Masai's general psyche is when building the team. The question is whether trading Siakam this summer is the right timed big swing move to go in and propel this team somewhere else. I just don't really think that's the case. I, I don't see, A, going around looking at some, some teams around the league. I mean, obviously things will change after the postseason and some teams will be in different positions. I just, I don't see like an obvious Siakam trade out there that actually nets the Raptors what they would want in exchange for an all-NBA level player. And that's what he is. And despite his little drop-off here in the back third of the season, I still think there's a chance he makes All-NBA on the strength of what he did at the start of the year. And when you look at the forward crop for All-NBA, it's not exactly an, an imposing bunch. It's a lot of centers and a lot of guards who were kind of locks for the All-NBA teams. There's still a world here, especially if maybe the Raptors can close strong here with their final set of nine games and Siakam can continue what he's done over the last week or so. You're probably looking at a pretty close vote for him to make all, in, you know, the All-NBA team again. That complicates things with his Supermax eligibility and all of that, too. That's something for another day. Um, but just on its merits, having Pascal on the team is a good thing. I know he's not perfect. He is not going to be the best player on a championship team. We have to stop thinking in terms of, is this guy the best player on a championship team or not? Like, he's a very good player. You don't just give up very good players Because change for the sake of change is a thing you want to see. I I think they got to be smart about this. There may come a time where Pascal Siakam is worth moving on from. And it makes a lot of sense with the roster construction. I don't think there's enough information yet to say whether or not that's the move for this team. Because there's entirely a world where this team comes back next season with most or all of its core back intact. Scotty Barnes takes a jump towards being the type of player that we've wanted to see him become. You have Pascal with a summer of rest after carrying the team for, you know, 50 games this season. Uh, you know, he, he's obviously looking a little bit lesser than his t- his typical peak physical self. That, t- that matters here. That's that's leading into his performance undeniably. He's just moving a little bit less well. And if you come back next season, you have Jakob Pertl in. Um, We've seen the effect of the starting five with Yak and that five-man group. They have been just punishing teams for the most part when they've been on the floor. It's been really fun to watch. And I don't think you can go and make the call on Pascal this summer without seeing what happens with Scotty Barnes next season. Because if Scotty Barnes does take a jump and you've traded Pascal for parts, you're probably going to really regret not having Pascal on the team. He's a very good player and... I know that there's a, there's this sort of compulsion to want to say, well, give Scotty the keys, give Scotty the ball, let him run it. A, he's not ready to be a lead ball handler on a team. He's just not. We've talked about it. He, he doesn't have the offensive juice just yet to command that attention, to c- command that level of usage, all of that. You're going to be in tough, especially for a team that has already traded its 2024 first-round pick. They're planning to be good next season. That might give you a little tell as to what their plans are with Pascal, truthfully, Um but Scotty's not ready to be the number 1 guy in on a team. And maybe you want to just throw all of it at him and have him grow and, you know, learn on the fly and have the, his hiccups and his ups and downs in the middle of a season as he's being asked to be the number 1. I don't know if that's the best development track. I'm not a coach. M- maybe that is. I think I would rather see him grow and develop on a team with competent players around him who can support him as he grows into the player that we're all hoping he can become. And I think having Pascal and Fred there as sort of support agents who eventually will cede the, the primary opportunities to Scotty down the line, but for now are kind of the stewards of the Raptors, I think that's a perfectly fine way to go about this. Siakam's contract is interesting. Obviously, he's got one year left after this one. Um, I would expect they'll extend him this summer. I, you know, I, I would probably bet against him making All NBA as it, as of right now. But again, it's still very much on the table. We'll see how the voting goes. We'll see how much the early season results bleed into people's minds as they put together the uh, the All NBA teams and all of that. But I think it's. Uh, it just I think they're going to get more out of whatever potential Pascal trade could come down the line if they just re-sign him to this next deal. And I know, oh my god, max contract, so much money. Everyone's going to be making a lot of money in the NBA. You're just going to have to get used to it. There's going to be sticker shock on a lot of these contracts that get signed this summer, next summer, when the cap continues to rise. In the coming years, there's going to be a new TV deal, all sorts of streaming options coming in, gambling money, all of this. The cap is going to rise. And when that happens, these contracts are just going to look like the max contracts of today look like, where it's just, oh yeah, that's a big lot of money, but like... That's just the the cost of doing business for very good players. And Pascal Siakam remains a very good player. Would rather just pay him the money and then figure it out later. But that's typically, you know, I admit, A, I'm a Pascal guy through and through. So I admit my sort of my blinders are maybe up a little bit on this one. But also, I just don't think it's good business to be trading away very good players because there might be a perceived upgrade in fit that we're not even actually even sure of just yet to the idea of Scotty being a 4 as his optimal position I just kind of don't agree with that I think his position is whatever they want it to be and he can be eventually a lead ball handler type he can be uh you know your wing your your 3 he can be a 5 sometimes like I just I, I don't think painting Scotty into the position into the corner of one position is something the Raptors are going to do and I just don't think it's really like what his skill set calls for he does a lot of really good stuff and I, I don't think we yet know where he's best. I just I certainly know that painting him into one position is not really um, the, the move here. <laughs> I just He's got a lot more to offer, I think, than, oh, well, he's a power forward, and you should play him like a power forward. I, I think he can coexist with Pascal. We've seen it even with the spacing issues, even with the cramped nature of that setup. They're finding ways for success. That starting lineup is crushing. Those two together have always been very good together, playing off of one another. They're both very smart basketball players. They can work around limited spacing. They're very good interior passers, all that type of stuff. You get a slight uptick in three-point shooting from one of them, and things really change in terms of the geometry of the floor and how it's all working. And so, no, I, I don't think this will be the summer to trade Pascal. The contract situation does complicate it. But again, are you getting peak value for Pascal with one year left, or... Are you getting better value if you keep Pascal, trade him, you know, have him on the team for a couple seasons, and then maybe down the line there's a Demar type trade where he gets sent out in terms of, you know, for, for some other distressed star or whatever it might be. It could, or maybe you trade him for pieces. I don't know. Um, I, I just I don't think this summer will be the time, and I don't know if what we've seen after the pertle trade is suggesting that this team is screaming for a Siakam deal or anything like that. I just I don't think. That's what's going to happen this summer. It could. It very well could, and I could see the logic to it for sure. It would break my heart as a Pascal dude through and through. And again, I, I admit that I'm probably a little bit biased on this one just because I'm so emotionally invested in Pascal C. Ockham's career and success. But that's part of why we do this. This is, uh, that's like the, the, the sort of irrational, stupid part of sports as well. And I would rather watch Pascal C. Ockham play for the team that I like than not. Full stop. I just would. And... and you know, I know the front office ain't going to care what I want or, or what I think, but I also think the front office is as much as they've shown a capacity for ruthlessness in the past, they've showed a capacity for extreme patience as well. And I continue to want to just paint this season, try to think of this year as the 2014-15 for this era of the Raptors. It's not, There's no guarantee that things are going to improve as markedly as they did after 2014-15 for the Raptors. Um, in, in this case, there's, there's no guarantees. The NBA is different. The Eastern Conference is better. All of that. But as far as this being kind of a letdown season where things don't go the way you want, where it's kind of a dud after a season of such optimism and hope, the Raptors front office decided, you know what? We're going to keep it after 2014-15. They could have let DeMar DeRozan walk. They didn't. Um, they kept Kyle Lowry around long after that, of course. And they tw- they tinkered. They brought in DeMarie Carroll. Didn't work, but they brought in DeMarie Carroll. They uh, sort of made adjustments on the fly and built themselves into a position where they got to a spot where they could strike when NBA weirdness took place. That's what they should be doing now. That's just, it's, it's a proven way that this franchise can go forward. And I think that it would be a little bit premature to move Siakam this summer. Again, I understand the contract thing makes it a little bit queasy for some folks. I just happen to not be worried about the money side of things because all of the contracts are going to be big in the coming years. And ultimately you can move off of any contract in the end. Like Russell Westbrook has been traded 19 times in the last couple of years. Like, you can move off of contracts, and Pascal is not going to be a bad player in the next three, four years. I would be shocked if he is. He's built on craft, footwork. Uh, he continues to get better, more refined. He's built on basketball IQ and instincts and reading the floor. That stuff's going to age well and probably age even better. He's going to be one of these like really fun, old-school uh, YMCA-ass players when he's like 36, I would guess. Like That's just kind of what he does. Um, so I don't think there's any risk of this being some like ballooned albatross contract you can't move. Um, you know We're seeing right now. like if, the, if the, Even if the Wizards were like, we're going to trade Bradley Beal, we're, he's going to waive his no-trade clause, to get a haul for him. They just would. Um, and I think you'd still get a haul for Pascal if you wanted to trade him down the line. Or you just roll forward with a team where Scotty Barnes is your best player and Pascal Siakam is your best player and you're hunky-dory having a great time. And uh, the Raptors are a legitimate, very good playoff team for many, many years. We're going to come back on the other side, get to a couple more of your mailbag questions and round out the show. We've got a question regarding Fred Van Vliet. Would he start on any other playoff team, like many teams he would start on? We'll get into that question. It's a very good one. Plus, why all the Raptors guys think it's shooting? We'll get to that question as well. Before we do that, however, got to tell you better friends over at Ibotta, one of our new sponsors here at on grocery, school shopping, getting a little something for yourself. You know you're already doing it, so why not get cash back for it with Ibotta? With Ibotta, you can earn cash back on every shopping trip. It gives you cash back on hundreds of grocery items to produce from produce to personal care to pantry goods. Either link to your loyalty account or... Upload your receipt after you shop and get your cash back. It's that easy. A typical basket of groceries was over $50 more expensive at the end of 2022 than the beginning of the year. Due to inflation, you could earn two and a half times that in cash back from Ibotta. That's a whole grocery bill covered with that cash back. That is a lovely, lovely thing. You can even earn cash back from hundreds of online brands and retailers too when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. Right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners 5 bucks just for trying Ibotta by using code LOCKED. When you register, that's L-O-C-K-E-D, just go to the App Store or Google Play Store and download the free Ibotta app and use code LOCKED. That's I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use the code LOCKED. All right, we continue on here. Round another show with your mailbag questions. Uh, Thanks again to all those who sent questions in. Reminder, you can always send longer form questions to LockdownRaptors at gmail.com. You can leave a comment on the Instagram page, LockdownRaptors. I'm trying to move most of my correspondence away from Twitter, if I'm being totally honest, because that site is going down the tube. So IG, uh, YouTube comments, email, all that good stuff. You can always get in touch with me there and be a part of the show. All right, next question here comes from Robert Carey, also from the YouTube channel. Would Fred start on any other playoff team? Pretty simple question. And the answer is, yeah, he would. Um, Let's not get crazy. Yes, Fred VanVleet has not had an amazing season. It's also true that Fred VanVleet's basically been what he was as an All-Star since January 1st or so. He's been very good. Yes, his game against the Pacers was erratic, not so steady, one of his lesser performances in terms of positive impact, and it would have been nice to see him have a more positive impact in a game that they absolutely should have won and had no excuses for losing. That doesn't undo what Fred VanVleet is as a player, and... Just going through right now, the teams that are in the playoffs, let's go like just the top 12 teams in the NBA, shall we? You've got the Milwaukee Bucks. Fred Van Vliet would start on the Bucks. He would start next to Drew Holiday in the backcourt. They'd put Chris Middleton at the three, Giannis at the four, Brooke Lopez at the five, and they would steamroll their way to a championship in like 18 games. That team would be incredible. Of course, Fred Van Vliet would start over Pat Connaughton or Grayson Allen or whomever the fifth starter for the Bucks is. We don't got to get silly there. The Celtics, I think, you know, obviously their defensive integrity is very much caught up in Marcus Smart. They have Malcolm Brogdon's very good. Derek White's good as well. Fred Van Vliet's a better player than all three of those guys. Full stop. No, he's not the same defender that Smart is. No, maybe he's not the same efficient shooter that a Malcolm Brogdon is. But as a general overall basketball player, from IQ to scoring punch to creation ability Fred Van Vliet's a better player. You have a Fred, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Bob Williams, Al Horford starting lineup. That team's cruising as well through the Eastern Conference, obviously. The Nuggets probably not, just because they've got that sort of big wing rotation of Gordon and Porter and KCP. Although you could argue, maybe you move KCP to the bench, and then you have a Fred Jamal Murray backcourt. Does that hurt your defense? Probably a little bit. Yeah. Um, so maybe he doesn't start for the Nuggets, but the Nuggets probably wouldn't trade for him. That as that as a result there, and I don't think that's really all that much worth uh, you know diving into too deeply. You know he. There's a world in which he fits in the Nuggets. The way their team is built, probably not. Uh, As of right now, would he start? The 76ers, yeah, he would start in the backcourt next to James Harden, I would think. Uh, He's a better defender than Tyrese Maxey. Whatever you think about Fred's defense, he's a better defender than Tyrese Maxey. Maxey's come off the bench a ton this season and been pretty effective. You go with Fred, uh, Harden... Whoever you want, Harris, uh, Tucker, Embiid, Fred, Harden, Melton, uh, Tuck, you know Harris, Embiid, whatever you want as your lineup for the for the Sixers. Uh, Fred's starting on that team again. He's an All Star level point guard. He's starting. He would not start for the Cleveland Cavaliers. They have two better guards. That's fine. Mitchell and Garland are incredible. He could probably fill in as like the third guy in those lineups that they're always looking for the the sort of three in those lineups. Maybe you push uh, Donovan Mitchell and he becomes your three a la Norm Powell back when the Raptors were super tiny with Lowry and Fred in their backcourt. But I doubt it. Probably not starting for the Cavs. Fair. Not starting for the Grizzlies either. Also fair. John Morant's incredible. Desmond Bain's Awesome. I wish Desmond Ban was on the Raptors. Malachi Flynn. Oh, my God. Uh, probably not starting there. Probably not starting for the Kings. You got De'Aaron Fox. He's really good. They need a little bit more size. Kevin Herter's great. Probably not starting there. That's fine. The Knicks, I mean, it seems as though it would be weird if they both had Fred Van Vliet and Jalen Brunson. But I-, I think, you know, Jalen Brunson has been better than Fred on balance this season. I think Fred has a better track record overall. You probably just lean Brunson for youth, I suppose, but ultimately I think that's kind of a wash. And whoever the, the Knicks had, I think they'd be similarly successful with whoever their starting guard was maybe a little bit less successful with Fred than Jalen Brunson this season uh, maybe not a 42 and 33 team maybe like a 39 and 36 team or whatever but um, I think it's pretty comparable there he would absolutely start for the Miami Heat he would start over Kyle Lowry right now I think without question Lowry's not even starting right now for the Heat he's coming off the bench yes Fred Van Vliet would start and be the third best player on the Heat and it would be really good the the, the Butler Van Vliet at a Bio will be damn good Heat fans were in my DMs like would they trade Fred for Kyle like at at the deadline you'd be starting on that team the Brooklyn Nets are in the playoffs he would be starting on the Nets and would be if not the best player the second best player on the Nets Um, the Clippers the Clippers should have traded for Fred Van Vliet he would 100% start and would maybe have made them a championship like a legit clear okay they're one of the three or four obvious championship contenders in the inner circle Uh, they didn't trade Terrence Mann in a first round pick in the salary filler required to get Fred Van Vliet Every time I watch the Clippers, I just think, wow, they could really use Fred Van Vliet. He would make the Clippers whole. Uh, He would obviously start for them. The Warriors wouldn't start. They have Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. Not much Freddie can do there. Same with the Suns. They have Chris Paul and Devin Booker and Kevin Durant. He's probably not starting over those three guys. That's fine. Uh, He would start for the Timberwolves. I can tell you that. He would start over Mike Conley and be a pretty awesome piece on that team I think um would be excellent on that on that team with the shooting with the just sort of being less old and rickety than Mike Conley you know you think the the role chemistries work with Yaka Pertola would work just as well between him and Rudy Gobert as well um that's kind of all we can go down the rest of the teams are not playoff teams or sort of fringy playoff teams all that but yeah, Fred Van Vliet, very good. He'd start for, I think, over half of the playoff teams because he's a very good basketball player. I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I know a lot of people don't like him uh, or have issues with him or issues with him being a ball hog, as it were, or whatever you want to say. He's a very good player and would 100% start for a lot of these playoff teams. And in a couple cases, put them over the top and make them very clear favorites or you know favorites to get out of their conference or whatever you want. Uh, last question here. This one comes from Jay Rich asking Is there a difference in gameplay on the Raptors that affects shooters that are brought onto the team? Notice the low, trend of low shot percentage of otherwise good shooters when they join the Raps compared to other teams? Thanks. Uh, Jay Rich, great question to ask her. Thank you for the question. We'll round it out on this one. I don't have the numbers. I didn't go to do like a deep dive on like, you know, shooting percentages for guys leaving teams and joining the Raptors and vice versa. Obviously this season you've seen you Watanabe go from being kind of a frustratingly inconsistent three-point shooter with the Raptors to being like one of the best three-point shooters in the league with the Nets. It's dropped off a little since Kevin Durant left because those those shots that he was getting were incredibly good looks. Um, So there's that to be kind of taken into account, but I think overall you're looking at um, as far as like theories as to why this goes down, I would say one, you know, the the style of play, like the, the the effort that goes into playing defense for the Raptors, maybe there's a collective effect in terms of just like wear and tear on the legs. That's, like, maybe more of a concern for guys who are playing bigger, longer minutes. So, like, I don't think that explains Will Barton being terrible from three-point range since arriving with the Raptors. I just kind of think Will, B- Will Barton maybe just doesn't have it anymore, and that's fine. Guys get to the point where they don't have it anymore, and that's just how time works. Um, it's a really interesting one. I, it could be the quality of the looks aren't quite as great because the Raptors' primary ball handlers are not as threatening, as imposing as a Kevin Durant or a Luka Doncic or a Giannis where everything is caught is tied up in making those guys the focus of the defense and it leaves other guys wide open maybe it's a little bit less pronounced for the Raptors in terms of the openness of the looks they get that said I mean OG Ananobi's been pouring in wide open threes for weeks now (laughs) like just a steady stream of them and so I don't think they make they create like bad looks necessarily but they don't create the best looks they don't have a ton of guys who are gonna you know dive into the heart of the defense, kick out to a wide-open three-point shooter, having sucked in all the help. Um, you know, it's not quite the, the level of guys they have. Um, so that could be part of it, too. It's a really interesting one. They're going to have to figure it out. Like, they've got to get guys who can shoot, man. Like, they, they, just, they just do. Um, and, you know, that they... I feel like maybe their their track record of developing guys into shooters is maybe kind of fallen on hard times as well. We haven't really seen someone they've drafted without shooting touch come in and become a great three point shooter. Maybe they just got to go hire some like three point shooting wizard coach of some kind or something like that. I don't know, but um, I think it's probably a combination of really demanding defensive scheme, uh, the, the the lack of like incredible defense-changing offensive players and some luck, obviously. Luck's always baked into three-point shooting as well. We're going to wrap it there. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. A reminder, every time you have a question of burning your brain, you want to get into my ear about the Raptors, please send it over to LockedOnRaptors at gmail.com. You can also go to the Instagram page, follow it, subscribe, all that good stuff, and uh, drop questions as prompts into the prompts that I'll put there as well when I got a mailbag podcast on tap. We'll leave it there. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. Enjoy the games against the Pistons and Wizards this weekend. Please, please, please win please can you win these games like it's should be easy the Pistons don't have a lot of their players the Raptors might not have their guys either tonight but like less excuses against the Pistons and then there even were against the Pacers I would say uh so please just win and comfortably it'll be lovely do it big big wins we like it um That'll be it. Thank you so, so much. Go make your second list of the day, locked on Leafs, as the Buds continue to power on through. They beat the Panthers last night, and uh, they are looking rock solid heading into the postseason. Everything's going to turn up wonderfully for them, right? Yeah. Uh, thank you very, very much. Have yourself a wonderful weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. Thanks for hanging. Bye-bye. <laughs>